uh, of the topic that we're covering. So, so far in this, in this series, we've been covering the weapons of our warfare. And just to bring you up to date, we talked a little bit about in the first week um, the battle of the mind. And as we all know, <laughs> the battle is in the mind for so many things. And then uh, the next week, we talked about the, our weapons are mighty through God. And I'm thankful that we have a God who, in the end, ultimately wins. And in the end, he has all power in his hand. So we really need to make sure that we align ourselves with him. And then today, we're going to cover this topic. God's church is an army. Yes. Amen? Amen? You guys know that? You're part of the army of God today. <laughs> if you have your Bible, you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. says this, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in white linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress, and the fierceness, and the wrath of God Almighty. And he hath on his vesture, and on his thigh, a name written, King of kings, and Lord of lords. God cannot be defined by one title. When you read the Bible, um, if you're anything like me, I like, to study, I like to study personalities, so I like to get people in their boxes so I can better understand them. <laughs> Just me. But you can't do that with God because he literally encompasses so much that if you just apply one title to God, you're really just, you're, you're doing him a great disservice. I mean, in the Bible, we see that he's called the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. He's referred to as a lion and a lamb. He's referred to as a jealous God, a long-suffering God, a giving God, a just God, patient, angry, everlasting. We could go on all day, right? God is defined in so many different ways. But today, I just want to make sure that we recognize that God is also a militant God. He's not afraid of a battle. He's not afraid of a fight. And he recognizes that in the battle for the souls of humanity, he's going to have to fight. And he's not afraid to do it. Did you know that 261 times in the Old Testament, God is referred to as the Lord of hosts? Does anybody know what that host actually means? Amos 4.13 says it like this. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. There's a Hebrew name for it, and I'm not going <laughs> to, after that last name, I'm not going to try to pronounce this Hebrew word right now. But the Lord of hosts, the literal meaning is the Lord of armies. He's referred to 261 times as the God of angel armies, basically. That song had it pretty close. And so if we look at God's interaction with humanity and we're the physical army of God on this earth, it's, it's interesting to see how does God command the angel armies, right? And we can actually see in scripture that the host, the angels, are very militant in their approach to humanity. So if you ever read about angels in scripture, with the exception of Gabriel, who's, you know, bringing good tidings and good news, all the rest of the angels just seem to be mixing it up and fighting all the time. It's like, it's always what they're doing. Our first example is when Satan himself was actually thrown out of heaven. The Bible talks about a, a war between two-thirds of the faithful angels and one-third of the angels who are trying to oppose the kingdom of God. And the Bible says they are cast out like lightning to the earth. And 
that's kind of our first understanding of what's going on in heaven is the angels are fighting with each other. But if we jump to Jude chapter 1, verse 9, we see another example. And in this verse, we see that Michael, the archangel, is literally fighting over the body of Moses, fighting with Satan over the body of Moses. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of, of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. So that we, there is a conflict in the spiritual world between the angels of righteousness and then, of course, the fallen angels who are trying to oppose the kingdom of God. But also, when angels interact with humanity, you actually see a lot of militant interaction. Jump to Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. It says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him, with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. So we get this image of this angel with a sword pulled out, and he's, he's there, and he's, the Bible actually goes out of its way to explain that he's the captain of the Lord's hosts. So we have God, who is the Lord of these angel armies, and there's actually ranks, and there's actually positions within the, uh, within the armies of heaven. And then in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, we see another example of angels interacting with humans, this one with Elisha. And it says, And when the servant, of the, the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, and host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And if servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his, the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and of chariots of fire around about Elisha. So why are we talking about all this? What does all this have to do with, with the church? All these interactions should matter to us because we see in all of these times when the people of God were getting ready to go through a trial with Jericho, they're getting ready to go up against a city, or with Elisha when it looks like he's surrounded, when Moses' body was apparently in jeopardy. We see that God has at his command at any given time an army of angels who are ready to respond in a moment's notice. It'd be great if we could see them sometimes, right? That's would be cool if I could look up and see an army. Actually, I'd probably, just, I'd probably just get super nervous if I saw that. But it'd be cool to know, right? But that's the reality, and God's showing us that this is in the spiritual world, what's happening all around us. And Romans chapter 1, verse 20 tells us that the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. So that means that what we can see in the physical, there is a representation in the spiritual, even though we can't see it. So the Lord of Heaven's armies expects His church to be ready to take on a spiritual fight in this spiritual war to save humanity. And we are saved by the power of Jesus Christ, which I am thankful for, because that's really what the whole purpose of the church is all about. I'm thankful that we can come to this church and that there is a God that regardless of what we've done, what battles we may have lost over and over and over again, the second we step into this ground, the enemy has no jurisdiction here. And you can walk into this place and you can be saved. You can repent of your sins. You can be baptized in Jesus' name. You can be filled with his spirit. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. And I'm thankful for that this morning. And if you're a guest or you're a visitor and you're here, you're not here by accident. How do you like this? God is literally fighting to get you to this place. 
because he desires to save your soul, and I'm thankful for that. But once we are saved, which I'm thankful for that opportunity, we're not just called to, to, to kind of huddle down in a bunker. We become the physical representation of what God wants to do on this earth. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5 kind of explains this battle for us. And it is a battle. Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. He set us up. He gave us power to tread over the enemy, the Bible says. But he does acknowledge that there is an enemy. And 2 Corinthians explains the battle like this. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto each of them. For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. The battle, really, it's a battle of information. It's a battle of the mind, like we started this series with. There is an enemy who is spreading lies and is trying to keep this world from understanding this truth. See, the battle isn't whether or not the truth is real or not, whether or not Jesus is real or not. The battle is whether or not somebody's going to get the opportunity to receive it. And the Bible talks about our enemy, talks about Satan, and refers to him as what? As the liar, right? The deceiver, the accuser. And we see, we see lies, man, they're all over the place. But you see lies about creation, lies about science, lies about, lies about gender distinction, lies about morals, lies about eternity, lies about the word of God and the love of God. There's lies all over the place in this world. And we as the church, we're not here to get anybody in trouble. We're not here. We're just here to show the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that, hey, Jesus died on a cross for your sins, and you can be saved from all of that mess if you'll just give your life, life to him. And that is a battle, though. It's not easy. It seems straightforward. And uh, I'm going to read some verses that we, we read a lot in deeper waters. It's just been the theme, honestly, for the last few months. But Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13 tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle truly against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand. <laughs> Sounds nice, right? But the reality is, is that we ourselves are constantly walking through a world that is blinded, and there is an enemy that is actively trying to blind even our own eyes. That's what makes the church so important, is that when we come here and we come into this place, that stuff can't touch us here, and the truth of Jesus Christ can be, can be shed abroad in our hearts, and then we can also take that out to the world as well. So the army of God is the church, and the unified church is God's greatest weapon on earth against the force of evil. You believe that? You are. You are God's greatest weapon right now. You're it. So when we come together as a unified group, we are the physical representation of God's presence on earth. If you can pull up Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. The Bible talking about the church says this, Now therefore ye are no more strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Say fellow citizens. Thank you. And of the house of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Can you throw that next slide up there? Jesus died on a cross for the church to come into existence. Look at this. I pulled these off the internet. <laughs> 
But you know what the reality is? Is when God's people come together, man, I'm just going to tell you, in the spiritual world, there is a fight to keep this kind of thing from happening. There is a fight to keep us from coming together as a body. And I mean, the fight might, the fight might look like a really loud alarm clock and just things not going right. But the reality is, is when this happens... Man, in the spiritual world, if we could see the mobilization that happens. Because when God's people come together and worship, when God's people come together and praise, it reverberates throughout this city. It really does. And we don't just, we don't just come to church because it's a good idea. <laughs> when we all come together, there really is something spiritual about it. Did you know that through the church, the gospel is spread to a lost and dying world? This is the way that God shows it to be done. He chose it to be done through the church. Encouragement is given to one another in difficult times. And this also becomes a stronghold, a place where others can come and feel safe. And my personal favorite, hope is experienced and hope is offered. Yeah. Amen. I'm thankful for that. Amen. But here's the thing that we have to recognize as the church. I'm going to try to bring this together really quick. If you can throw that next slide up there. As the church, the church is not just, uh, hey, you have some people who speak, and you have some people who sing, and you have some people who you know, greet you at the door. The church isn't just about a select few and then a body. That's not the way the church was ever designed to be. The church is designed to have every single person who comes into the church being an active member, being an active participant. And there's multiple scriptures. I just picked a few. Can you go to the one? Maybe there it is. I just picked a few. It says, you yourselves, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says, you yourselves are, are like living stones being built up into a spiritual house. And you know, if we're a spiritual house, we might have like a really nice door, but if you don't have a back wall, it's just kind of pointless, right? And 1 Corinthians tells us that you are the body of Christ, and individually, you're members of it, but together you become the body of Christ. Corinthians 12 tells us that there are varieties of service, but they're all for the same Lord. Corinthians 12.12 tells us, For just as the body is one and has many members, all are members of the same body. You can put that other slide back up there. The reality is, is that there is no small task in the church, and there is no thing, there's no hierarchy of importance. You are important. I am important. We're all important. Because when we come together, we accumulatively, close enough, we, we make up the body of Jesus Christ. And it's not just a body for the sake of being a body. But it's like a strong tower that outside, when, when the floods of this world start raging, that this world can run into. And you might think you're insignificant, but you are a shelter for somebody else. And you are a place of refuge for somebody else. So it's so important that we come together. So how do we do that? How do we become the army of God other than just showing up for church and worshiping Him? Daily walk with God, prayer, Bible reading, fasting as we're doing or getting ready to do. And church attendance, I mean, that's, that, that might seem like redundancy, like I read my Bible every day, pray every day. <laughs> I'm not out preaching thousand soul revivals, or I'm not laying hands on somebody and having them walk. You might, sometimes we might see the stories in the Bible and think our contribution is insignificant. And that's why there's so many verses reminding us that that's not the case at all. It's not the case at all. We must be strong and unified at all times because, as an army, we never know when we're going to be called upon to make a great impact in the kingdom. You can throw that last slide up there. There it is. So as part of my job, and I'm wrapping up, as part of my job, I get the opportunity to kind of like 
to our certain hospitals. Like we put students in certain spots. So the other day, a couple months ago, I got a behind-the-scenes tour um, at the transportation, the, the Mercy Children's Transport Department. Dude, these guys are amazing. Oh, my goodness. If you are here in the Kansas City area with a kid, you should feel a little bit safer because these guys exist. Um, but it was, it was staggering because when I, traveled, when I traveled through and the director took me through and she showed me a lot of the stuff in their department, I was amazed. They have literal fixed-wing aircrafts sitting at both airports in Kansas City, the one downtown and the one at KCI, just gassed up, loaded up, and ready to go 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. They also have, I think, two or three helicopters that are just right there on site. Pilots there, gassed up, ready to go, anytime. That's not even counting. They're ground units. These things are amazing. They're like mobile houses filled with all the medical equipment you could ever need. And they have, I think, 10 or 12 of these units that they can use, two big ones and then some of the smaller ones. And so they have all of this, this major equipment. And when you walk into their department, you see, ironically enough, probably 10 or 15 people just kind of sitting around. You know, they're not like, out really doing a whole lot. They'll go, they'll check some equipment, but they're just kind of in the area. And you walk past them, and then you go and you see this huge storage room of equipment that's just, just kind of, everything just looks like it's just sitting, just kind of just waiting. And then she'll, she told me that they actually, Mercy Children's is responsible for transporting critical children in between Denver, Colorado, and Chicago, Illinois, they go down as far south as Texas, and they go up north all the way up to, like, Minnesota. Huge chunk of the Midwest that this department has to be ready at any given moment if a critical child becomes sick or a traumatic injury should happen. They have to be ready to step into those, those rigs that you see up there and be on location as soon as possible. And so when there's nothing happening, they're just kind of hanging out in the area, just waiting, waiting <laughs> fortunately waiting for something bad to happen so that they can be called upon. And it's amazing because so much of their day looks kind of mundane, looks just kind of like routine. Let's check the equipment. Let's, you know, let's go through the checklist. Let's make sure we're ready. But you know what? In a moment, if something were to happen in St. Louis, Missouri, that, that helicopter or that airplane can be in the air within 20 minutes and could be the difference in saving a kid's life because they're so highly trained that the second they get there, they can stabilize the situation. Not fix the situation, but they can stabilize the situation and get them back to the main hospital where they can fix it. And I know it's a stretch, but just how I think all the time, it's like, as the church of God, we're, we're not so different. You know, we come to church, we pray, we fast, we do our ministries, we're waiting at the door, we're always ready, but sometimes we can get kind of lost on what's going on here. And sometimes we can kind of forget the seriousness of the situation. You know, there could be a soul who's contemplating suicide, who's dealing with situations that are beyond our recognition. And at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to save their life, keep them out of hell for eternity, is the presence of God in this place. And we have to be ready every service. We have to be ready at every prayer meeting. We have to take every youth service serious. Because when they come in, Man, it better not be said of us that we didn't take it seriously. It's not that big of a deal. We'll see what happens. We just go through the motions. No, we are the physical army of God. We dress the way we dress for a reason. We worship the way we worship for a reason. We speak truth for a reason. Because when God comes, he's going to bring people to this building. 
And we had better be ready for them. So as we stand, as the musicians come up, and we get ready to jump into the rest of this service, let's just make sure that we don't have any lackadaisical worship services. Let's make sure we don't have any lackadaisical services, but we don't take it serious. As we have to recognize, chains are broken here, lives are changed here. And even if we don't feel it, God is doing great things. Why don't we close our eyes, lift up our hands, and let's ask God to have his way in the rest of the service. God, we thank you so much for all that you've done. We thank you for calling us to be your, your army, God, your representative.
Oh, yeah. 
shelter. I was an orphan. You called me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Your love is the end and I'm breathing. I have a future. My eyes are open. When you call my name. Is this your story this morning? You called me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Your love is the end that I'm breathing. I have a future, my eyes are open. When you call my name, I'll break out of that grave. Out of the darkness, into your glorious day. Yeah. 
started to sink in a little bit. There was a theme to those songs, and I don't know if they did that on purpose or not, but we were singing about a victor's crown, and he set me free, and, and, and it's almost like the words started to just sink in for us a little bit. You know what? I don't care about my situation. I'm a victor. I'm, I win. I, I, ain't nothing going to get me down. I can't be defeated because I'm already on the winning side, and and it's almost like we just started to dawn us a little bit. Hands started to clap a little more and people started to run and jump because it's like the word sunk in a little. I win. I'm victorious. I don't lose. I win. Yes. tell you what and if you're here today and you say well you know what I don't feel like I've been winning my situation's been rough marriage been rough finances been rough health has been rough I've been feeling like I've been fighting one issue after another just look around because sometimes victory is on the other side of praise victory is on the other side of worship and if we just start to worship a little bit we'll find that victory has been waiting for us the entire time.
Oh, in case you missed it last week, God spoke to me a week ago or over a week ago and and he was talking to me about our, our communion last Sunday, and then he started to talk to me about calling a three-day fast, which I did last Sunday. And I began to ask him, and I said, Lord, why, what, how do these things relate about communion and fasting? Those are two separate topics. And God spoke, and I pulled up the notes right now because I don't ever want to forget what he said. God said, my death is what makes life possible. Just as I was buried and rose again three days later, if my people will die out to self and bury some things. Three days later, they are going to see some new things come to life that will take them to another dimension. And so last Sunday, several of you have already gone on a three-day fast. Those who have not, this week is our week, okay? My wife did last week. I'm doing this week. Join me if, because I believe that it's not just pockets. It's not just this family or that family, that God wants to do something on an individual level, on a family level, and on a corporate level. And so if we would just unify right now, I believe that this is going to set the stage for what he is already, what he already, I'm not going to say what he's going to do because he's already doing it. But it's already in the process that he's, it's already in the works. And I just feel like when we're fasting, in men's prayers, we talked about it, that there is intense opposition right now. I have never, we have never gone in the church, as a church on a fast, on a three-day fast, where we call them quarterly. We have never one time done it where there has not been intense opposition. You know what happens is if you imagine the fighting metaphor or something, you know, like those, those brutal cage matches or something, that they're, they're just kind of against the thing. And at some point, you can't just keep guarding yourself. At some point, you got to stand up. And even if you're not going to hit anything, you just start swinging. Because at some point you got to fight back. You can't just stay against the cage and just hope that, the, that you stay in the fight for a few more rounds. At some point you say, I'm going to be in a fast. I'm going to be pray like I've never prayed before. Because if the enemy thinks that I'm just going to cower against the cage and try and cover my head, he has another thing coming. Even if I don't hit anything, I'm fixing to start swinging right now. And I'm going to get something in the spiritual realm. Why? Because greater is he who is in me than he who is in that world. And so I'm going to claim the promises of God and I'm going to begin to prepare myself spiritually. Stop thinking that when opposition comes, it's just been a, a bad week or God's against you or you're just struggling. Sometimes you need to step back and say, God, help me. He referenced that scripture when he opened his eyes and Elijah said, open my servant's eyes. And he looked and he just saw multitudes of angels. Sometimes we just got to stop in the middle of a problem and an issue and say, God, help me right now when I open my eyes again to begin to see things through the spiritual realm instead of the physical realm. And all of a sudden, God will start to show you, you know what? What you're dealing with might not just be a physical issue. It might be a spiritual opposition. And when you begin to pray and to fast and begin come out swinging, you're, you're going to find that God's getting ready to raise some new things to life, but death has to take place first. God's wanting to do something here today. Praise God. He's wanting to do something here today. Oh, 
Tell you what, if you say, I ain't feeling what they're feeling. I just wish I could feel what they're, just start. I promise you, people that know how to worship, they don't worship because they feel to worship. Every person that claps and jumps and dances and raises their hand is not doing that just because they had a great week. If you want to, where'd Patisha go? Where'd Patisha go? Don't ever stop worshiping. If you want to get contagious worshiping, come up, stand next to Patisha the next service and hear her and watch her. And you know what? It, it, it wears off on you, that, that passion and pursuit of God. We need your worship here, Patisha. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, man. Somebody tell me how you transition out of that. Man, God is just, you know that secular song, a little bit softer now, a little bit, that started in a church. I'm dead serious. It was in an African-American a, a church that, that was predominantly African-American. And you know what? And I'll say that. I love to look out. I hate. There is no such thing as Hispanic church, white church, black church. My goodness, let's all worship together. Hi. I love it. I love it. You know what? I love it. Let's just take a moment right now. Begin to look around you and look at people who have different skin color than you right now. I love it. We have Native Americans, African American. We have white. We have Hispanic. I love it. I love it. This is going to be exactly like heaven is. Worship of every tongue in every nation around the throne. I love it. We don't all speak the same language. We're different nationalities. Oh, yes, we do speak the same language. We speak in tongues. It's God's Holy Spirit upon us. People say they mean, well, I don't see color. Yes, I do, and so do you. But I don't say, oh, they're di- they are different. Then. I don't, your, your skin might be a different color than mine. I see color, but I love you for the difference that you have. And you might have a different culture, and I might have a different culture. And we don't have to eat the same food and speak the same language and have the same holiday traditions. But we come into the church, and we serve one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and we get together with brothers and sisters of like precious faith that's what a multicultural church should look like yeah he's excited today yep you're right i am god's good god is good praise god well you can be seated mm. Thank you.